today's reading we'll be looking at Acts chapter 17 verses 22 to 31. Paul then stood up in the meeting of Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. This is, this is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you. In the name of Jesus, our Saviour. Amen. Well, as you've gathered, uh, I've been invited to speak this morning about the church partnership that St Columps has with a small Aboriginal Christian community in the Northern Territory at a place called Galilee. Now that's in the Roper Valley and the area is just south of Arnhem Land and there's a highway that goes basically from Mataranka out to the Gulf of Carpentaria. Back in 2016, the Northern Territory Bishop, Greg Anderson, had invited Melbourne churches to partner with Aboriginal churches in the, in the Anglican diocese that he serves. And people at St Columns then were very positive about this opportunity and the parish council agreed. So we've had a church partnership for the last five years. Now, it's a bit like a lease, you know, one of those business leases. We've got a five, with a five years with a five-year option. So we could make it 10 years. So over the last five years, we've been visiting in small teams of people from St Columns and we've either been camping at Gowie or going to the Catherine Christian Convention, and that happens every May. Now, last year, of course, in 2020, it was very different. We had restrictions on travel. So we found other ways to stay in touch uh, via phone calls uh, to Estelle, who is the Gowie Church leader, 
and also kept in touch with uh, Kate Beer, who's uh, the diocesan contact that we have up there, because the diocese, of course, have on-the-ground pastoral care uh, for our friends there in Gelly. We've been praying for one another, and it's been very encouraging that God has grown a relationship of trust between us. And it was particularly heartwarming uh, not that long ago to get a phone call from Estelle because she'd heard that we were going into, I think it was our fourth lockdown on the news, and uh, she was very worried that we were all very sick and all very uh, in trouble down here. And that was just, it was actually really lovely to hear her voice, to say that she was praying for us, that she was thinking of us. She's also been praying for specific things that I've asked her to pray for because she's met Mike Flynn, so she's been praying for uh, him to recover from his heart attack and she's met Paul and Anna Hughes, so she's been praying for him uh, and uh, for Paul and Anna in their move to their new church. So that's been really lovely to have that partnership in prayer. Now over these last five years, I've become myself more aware of just what a privilege it is uh, that the Lord of heaven and earth chooses me to invite, chooses to invite me into partnership with him through Jesus. Now that partnership actually began uh, when I was less than about eight years old and I responded to Jesus knocking on the door of my heart. So partnership with God starts because he calls us in Jesus. In Jesus, in God, I am reconciled, I'm forgiven, I'm saved, I'm alive, I'm redeemed, and I'm free to serve. I'm joined to, to Christ because of the resurrection of Jesus. I have received the Holy Spirit who dwells in me and changes me to be more like Jesus. I realise these are big claims, but they're claims from what we know is true from God's word. And my daily trust in my Heavenly Father does deepen each day, no matter what. I've been similarly encouraged by the ways in which the Lord invites us as the people of St Columns into partnership with him as we take up the opportunities we each have in our workplaces, our families and together in our local community to be faithful and godly in how we live our lives and how we serve others. There are so many ways in which the Lord uses each one of us and also all of us together in the work that he is doing in this church, through this church, and in those that we meet. So when God calls us to be in partnership with him by faith in Jesus, he actually also calls us to be in partnership with one another. And I've, I have learned so much from being in the team of people who run playgroup each Thursday morning of term time. The Lord has given us, each one of us, very different gifts and passions. And over the last eight years or so, we've been doing this together as partners in this ministry, and I have been greatly encouraged, blessed and changed in ways that I hadn't expected. Now, for our reading this morning, I chose this speech of Paul from Acts uh, because there's a verse in it that really resonates with me uh, in that experience of travelling to the Aboriginal Christian family in Gelly. And I wanted to affirm that the reason God gave lands to the First Nations of this land now called Australia was exactly as Paul says in verse 27. 
that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Now, the ancestors of the Galilee mob had a rich culture of law and spirituality with knowledge of a creator a long time before white people came. And when we've been there and walked with the Aboriginal people on country, they've shared their stories with us and we've heard firsthand how God has made himself known to them in Christ. The nations of the Roper Valley region in the Northern Territory hadn't actually been overrun with white people until the late 1890s. Uh, If you want to do the maths, I think it's about 130 years ago. So it's way more recent than we think. And many of the older people there, of course, remember the stories from people who were there at the time when white people finally got in there. Soon after the white people came, the cattlemen began to hunt Aboriginal people down and kill them. And in 1906, the Anglican Bishop of Carpentaria, a man named Gilbert White, he asked the Church Missionary Society to come and to start a mission for Aboriginal peoples. And these people came from Melbourne and Sydney, mostly from Melbourne. So that's kudos for us. A suitable site was determined to be at the place now called Nukur, where the Roper River narrows down and it becomes impassable by boat. So they went up the coast into the river mouth and got as far as they could. Where it narrowed down, there was fresh water and a suitable place to be. They had three Aboriginal missionaries, three white missionaries, and of course, some local Roper River people. And by 1908, the mission was a place for many peoples to find protection from the killing and the abuse that they were experiencing. Now, of course, these missionaries wanted to protect Aboriginal peoples and they also wanted to let them know that God loved them. A very important figure for them in their story, Aboriginal missionaries James and Angelina Noble, they were actually able to speak Creole. And local elders there were also able to translate their teaching about Jesus into other local languages and therefore pass on the good news of Jesus in languages people could understand. There are, in fact, many stories of Aboriginal families coming to faith in Jesus, and even today, those mission times are a time many of the old people remember with great joy and also with great thankfulness. Consequently, there are many faithful believers in the remote Aboriginal communities in this valley, and they like us, long for their children and grandchildren to also know the love of God and to follow Jesus. Now, as I've spent time in Acts this week, and maybe you've still got it open before you at Acts 17, I've really become quite immersed in the depth of understanding and the knowledge of the Lord that Paul expresses in every sentence he speaks. Now, of course, before this speech... He was preaching up in uh, Thessalonica and then in Berea. He'd caused a lot of trouble. I'm not 100% sure that Paul's a guy you want on your missionary team. But anyway, his missionary companions actually had to escort him safely down 
to Athens by sea. So he ended up being in Athens waiting for many of his other companions, Silas, Timothy, and presumably others that aren't named yet. Uh, And Paul, while in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. So Paul being Paul, he of course went off to the Jews in the synagogue and reasoned with them. And then of course he went to the marketplace to talk to the Greeks, anyone who would listen to the good news of Jesus. Now the Greek philosophers, being Greek philosophers, of course want to know more and they actually take him to a meeting of the Areopagus. That's the kind of aristocratic council of Athens. Paul is not exactly on trial, but he is asked to present this new teaching. So he opens by commending his hearers for being very religious with many objects of worship. He cheekily, or perhaps rudely, points out that they are ignorant of the very thing they worship when he refers to the altar with the inscription, to the unknown God. Paul takes this further, and he claims that the God they don't know, in verse 24, is the God who made the world and everything in it. And this God, the God they don't know, but apparently worship, uh, is also the Lord of heaven and earth. So that is, this God previously unknown to the Athenians, is now revealed not just as a new God to add to their collection, but to the God who is above every other God that they might think they already know and that they already worship. Now, Paul's speech to the uh, people at the Areopagus, well, it's pretty dense with Old Testament theology. Uh, But actually, some of its logic is pretty simple. If you just glance at the speech in front of you, it kind of goes like this. You're ignorant, says Paul, of an unknown God that you worship. Here I am telling you about the God you don't know, who made you, gave your nation this land and this time to seek him. And now that you know about the unknown God, You are commanded to repent of your idolatry. That's what God has commanded. For the day is set when God's appointed man, Jesus, will judge the whole world. That is, all the nations, including you guys, the Athenians. And so that you know this is true... Jesus has been raised from the dead as proof, not just for the Jews, not just for the Athenians, but for everyone. Of course, after Paul has finished speaking, uh, some of the other councillors in the meeting want to know more. A couple of them uh, follow Paul and come to believe. And we occasionally see them later in Acts and referred to in other letters of Paul. What I'd like you to notice about what Paul says and what he teaches about God is that these things are common to all human beings. God gives everyone life and breath and everything else. God 
made one man. And out of that one man, he made all the nations. So that makes us one family or one blood or one and the same, no matter what colour or race or land or country. God marks out times and boundaries for all those nations. Nations fall, nations rise. We see that in the history of the people of Israel in the Old Testament and we also see it in our own uh, understanding of history since Jesus was raised from the dead. We don't know exactly why nations rise and fall, but they do. In God, we live and move and we have our being. All of us, we all have that in common. We are all his offspring made in his image. And God commands all people everywhere to repent. Not just the chosen people of the Jews or of Israel, but everyone made in his image. And God is going to judge the world with justice through the man that he has appointed, the man Jesus. And of course, that proof by raising Jesus from the dead, that's for all of us to know. Not just the Jews who would have perhaps seen as a fulfilment, for many of them did, they saw the Messiah, they understood what God was on about, but it's for everybody. So whether we are Athenians, Jews, Romans, Europeans, First Nations people or immigrant Australians, we all have these things in common as human beings. We are all going to be judged the same way and all people everywhere are to repent of idolatry. Now, taking teams to uh, Gelyi from St Columns has been quite challenging. Camping remotely without a clear understanding of whether we have water, power or bathroom facilities, that very first time when we went in August 2017, was quite daunting. Uh, there were five of us who went. We had a trailer full of uh, boxed water, because we just didn't know, is there water there? We had so much toilet paper, it was ridiculous. Again, we didn't know what was there. And we knew that whatever we needed, we needed to take in and we needed to take out. Now, of course, each subsequent trip to either Gelly or Catherine has become a lot easier uh, because we're more familiar with the environment and the relationships between the peoples have grown. We have a deep trust of one another because we've fulfilled our promise, the promise we made in the parish partnership, the church partnership. We made a promise that we'd keep coming back. And over the last five years, we've kept coming back. Now, on one of these trips to camp at Gelly, Mike Flynn observed that issues of drug and alcohol abuse, family suicide, uh, sorry, family violence or suicide rates in Indigenous communities, now these are often reported by the media, Mike noted that these are also issues that we have. They're present, not just in Melbourne, 
but here in Hawthorne. The difference that Mike noticed was that our wealth and our culture has found ways of hiding or legitimising some of the behaviours related to those issues. Now, in Aboriginal communities, people are already living in poor conditions with limited access to resources and many restrictions on their autonomy. So these issues are actually more exposed. So when people ask me, what can we do to help Aboriginal people? And that's not a bad thing to ask. I actually find myself replying uh, that actually the issues are so big and it's such a mess that only the gospel of Jesus will in fact make any difference to them. And indeed, only the gospel of Jesus will make any difference to us as well. We have the same issues. We may not want to admit to them. We may not see them on the news, plastered everywhere, as we do for Indigenous communities. But we have them. So we need the gospel of Jesus too. So the church partnership that we have had actually embodies that truth. It is the gospel that makes the difference. That's what's brought us together. God's partnership by bringing us to Christ and God's partnership that he's given us with each other as churches of Christ. The idols of our cultures may well be very different from one another, but all nations and peoples throughout all times have things we need to repent of to follow Jesus. And when we consider the history of this continent, I find it very humbling to be welcomed by Aboriginal people in their country. For they're people just like us, made in the image of God, in a land appointed by God for a very long time so that they might seek him and perhaps reach out and find him in their own law and culture. Maybe they had reached out already. And with the good news of Jesus, they like all people who believe in and follow Jesus, have now found God as he has revealed himself in Christ to the whole world. The church partnership has given St Columns the privilege of sharing with and learning from Aboriginal people how the good news of Jesus is expressed in a very different culture. This has created an opportunity for us to imagine new ways of expressing the good news of Jesus in our culture. Let me pray. Lord God, our almighty Father, you have been so gracious and merciful in sending your son Jesus that he died for us to redeem us to yourself. And Lord Jesus, you are now raised on high, proof that the Lord God will judge all the nations one day on that set day that he has appointed. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice, for your willingness to go to the cross. We thank you, Lord God, for raising Jesus from the dead. Confirmation that our hope is secure. We now belong to you, Lord Jesus. We belong to a new country, 
we belong to a new people. Please change us and grow us and empower us by your Holy Spirit to be able to live that in our lives as godly and faithful people and to reach out with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen.